We're working our way through John's Gospel. This is part 35. I know you're thinking we should be a lot farther than we are. We're on chapter 8. I am struck with the importance of this text. I, I titled the message, How Sin Darkened Minds Assess the Glory of Christ. Not everybody thinks about Jesus the way you think about Jesus. A lot of people couldn't care less. Whether he ever lived or died or what he did, have no interest. They know about him. They just couldn't care less. Why is that? How sin darkened minds assess the glory of Christ. John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. I hope you have a Bible with you. I know I say it all the time. You need a Bible in one form or another. Get to know where the texts are. If you just see it up on the screen, you don't have to look anything up. You don't know whether John is near the beginning of the Bible, the end of your Bible. Where is that anyway? A Bible. Bring a Bible. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. That's an interesting comment. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written, the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. He said to them, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And John says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him, and he's used this phrase, half a dozen times already in John's gospel, because his hour had not yet come. I chose this title, How Sin Darkened Minds Assess the Glory of Christ, because I think the text demands an explanation as to why people are so upset with Jesus when he has this grace-filled offer. Look at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's Jesus, this gift-bearing Savior. He says he came with light and life, and this offer is what irritates these religious scholars. How do we account for that? 
either there's something wrong with Jesus or there's something wrong inside their hearts because there's nothing wrong with the offer as it stands. Light and life. There's something else that makes this text pretty challenging. Jesus makes the rather astounding claim. We're just used to hearing it. But it's an astounding claim that he's the light of the world, verse 12. And not surprisingly, they respond, well, anybody, anybody can say he's the light of the world. But if Jesus is the only one who says so, how do we know? I mean, I can say I'm Superman. Does that make me Superman? That's what they're saying, by the way, in that 13th verse. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And immediately our minds, our minds should go back quickly to John 5, 31 to 39, where Jesus gives these same leaders, the same people, a whole list of witnesses to his identity and mission. Here's what he said in chapter 5 to these same people. If I alone bear witness about me, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, John the Baptist. He has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp. You were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than John for the works that the Father has given me, the very works that I'm doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, you do not have his word abiding in you. How does he know that? You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures, because you think in them that you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Now, the reason I read all that, in those words from John 5, if you're following, the witnesses pile up that Jesus lists. John the Baptist, he, talk, he talks about John the Baptist. He talks about the works that he did. In front of them all, they saw the things that he did. He talks about the witness of the Father in heaven. He talks about the witness of the Jewish scriptures. You search the scriptures, he says. So all of these witnesses, Jesus says, they all pointed to me. And yet in our current text, in John 8, he doesn't mention any of those witnesses. The only witness is himself. So what's going on here? Why this change in response from Jesus to the same crowd? He had said earlier there were multiple witnesses to his person. Why such an abbreviated response in John 8? And the answer to that question is in the title that I gave this teaching, how sin-darkened minds assess the glory of Christ. Time is passing. John 5, multiple witnesses. Jesus cites them. John 8, 
just himself. What's going on? Well, what's going on is Jesus, Jesus won't play games with these truth dodgers. He won't play games with them. He still doesn't. We're going to look at this in just a few minutes together. Okay, point number one. Jesus claims fulfillment of the messianic prophecies in his own coming and ministry. I don't know if you noticed it, but in John 12, John 8, 12, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. So that there's that image, light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in. There's the opposite, darkness, but he will have the light of life. Jesus isn't just being poetic with these images. There's a purpose in these words. In those words, and they would have recognized it, he's claiming his rightful title in front of these religious leaders by pushing them back into their own scriptures. Remember these words, the light, darkness, light of life. Now look, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, looking at the coming Messiah. And this is what Jesus is pointing out to these religious leaders, if they have eyes to see it. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way by the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee to the nations. Look at the people who see it. Walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them, speaking of the Messiah, a light has shone. See, Jesus comes. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's showing them from their prophetic scriptures, these religious leaders, he's showing them what's going on. Look at Isaiah 49, 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved to Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation will reach to the end of the earth. End of the earth. The earth. Jesus, I'm the light of the world. You see it? All of this is behind Jesus' great missionary proclamation about himself as the light of the world. Both the terms, light and world, are telling, are telling. The light is Christ-exclusive. There are no other lights. I am the light of the world. There are no other lights. He reserves this title for himself and no one else. And then secondly, this light is world-inclusive. It's designed for everyone on earth. The light of Christ is not a parochial light. It's for everyone. He's the light of the whole world. So he uses those terms, and he's pointing out his messianic fulfillment of those prophecies from Isaiah. Point number two. All qualities and styles of life that marginalize or ignore Christ as Lord, are described as darkness. 
Look at it in 8.12. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm sure these people resented that statement. Jesus summarizes the key thought of the prophets when he says his rejectors walk in darkness. Let me tell you something about Jesus that I don't think fits very well in kind of the woke church. There's another occasion. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and he points out all their sin and their need of him. And the disciples, when Jesus is done, the disciples come to Jesus. You can, you can look it up. His disciples come to Jesus, and they say, you know, they were really offended by what you said. They found, they found your words offensive. And here's what you don't see. You don't see Jesus going, oh, shoot. Well, let me rephrase that in a way that will be palatable for you because I sure want you to be happy with what I'm saying. If they don't receive him, he, he condemns them. So Jesus will have none of this. He, he speaks the truth. And if people don't like the truth, he doesn't alter the message, so they'll like the truth. So that's what's, that's what's going on here. People who reject Jesus walk in darkness, and Jesus told them that. I'm sure they resented the statement. Jesus summarizes the key thought of the prophets when he says his rejectors Walk in darkness. Actually, what the prophet said was they walk in deep darkness. Deep darkness. This is still true. There is no other condition without the light of Christ. In this world today, then, now, the Puritan George Hutchison centuries ago wrote these words. On this verse, without Christ, mankind is as the world without the sun. Remember that Christmas ice storm a few years back? Hundreds of people left in darkness, cold. Just a quick little snapshot of what darkness is like. You miss out on everything that could be when you're in the dark. You're on the outside of life. You imagine what you would do if the power was on and if the house was warm. That's only a slight picture of the darkness of life outside of Jesus Christ. The kind of darkness described by Jesus in our text is is a spiritual darkness. But here's the thing, and you see it in these religious leaders. It's the kind of darkness that as it grows it leaves you increasingly unaware of its presence. Jesus says life outside of his redeeming grace is the kind of darkness people continue to walk in. Verse 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. This is is a highly functional blindness without Christ. People continue to travel. They go on trips. They walk. They work. They laugh. They eat, they play, 
The deeper the darkness outside of Christ, the less the awareness of the darkness. As the level of inner darkness and potential judgment increases, people feel fine about their own state. Like these religious leaders, they imagine a relationship with God that doesn't, in fact, exist. Paul gives his own description. It's a little bit longer about what walking in darkness is. Remember, outside of Jesus, the light of life, people walk in darkness. That's what we're looking at now. What does that mean, walking in darkness? And the point I'm making first is, the deeper the darkness, the less people are aware of the darkness. Paul gives probably the most intensely theological definition of what walking in darkness is. Try and follow along. And you, so he's talking to the church, he's talking to Christians. You are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once, see this verb? Is that the same one? Is that the same verb? Yes. Yes, Pastor Don. Again, let's pretend I'm talking to you when I... In which you once walked... Following the course, people outside of Christ think they're being original. And Paul says, there's, there's like there's a ravine, and you're just in it. You can't get out of it. Stuck in the rut. You walk following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We're looking at that in my Christian ed class. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, in whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, don't think of, you know, sexual immorality or molesting children. The passions of the flesh is, I just, I just sort out what makes my life work best, and I know how to do that. I know how to secure my life. I know how to satisfy my life. I, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He keeps going. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer, there's the verb, walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. Remember I said the, the greater the darkness, the less they're aware of it. But it's not, it's not that they aren't smart. It's not an IQ problem. The mind is affected. The perception is affected. They are, here's the same verb that John uses, darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous, giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Okay, I'll, I'll quit there. The important idea here is, once again, as the darkness deepens, life outside of Christ. As the darkness deepens, the awareness of it lessens. That's because, unlike physical darkness, the ice storm, spiritual darkness, Paul says, is a darkness of, of the mind. That's the word Paul uses. A darkness of the understanding. It's, it's the darkness of perception. What it destroys is self-awareness. It means... This is a subtle darkness that keeps the blind 
in the dark about its own existence. Stay with me just a minute longer. Because we're in a position now to look again at an issue that I raised about our John 8 text. Remember, remember how I pointed out in John 5, Jesus listed a whole bunch of witnesses to himself. Remember that? And then in John 8, just one. And I said, it's the same people. What's going on? How come the information is getting less? That's the question I raised. And here's why. And it matters a lot. As these religious leaders, but anybody, as these people continue to resist the light that Jesus brings, as they walk in darkness, the darkness increases. The fruit of that darkness is they get less and less from Jesus. Their chances are diminishing. It's a dangerous thing to wait their chances are diminishing. You see the fulfillment of these words. Never forget they're in your New Testament because this is Jesus speaking. Here's Jesus talking. Take care then how you hear. To the one who has, this is the person who hears, listens, to the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, not listening. Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Ouch. This is not divine cruelty. This is not a matter of someone just having a string of bad luck. The point is no one can choose. You can't choose to walk in darkness and think you're still going to find the light. You have to come to Jesus and follow Jesus. And that relates to the third point. Light and life come from following Jesus, following Jesus, not just believing in Jesus. I see that in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever, here's the verb, follows me will not walk in darkness. He will have the light of life. Just as living for our own plans and our own desires, just as that defines walking in darkness, so denying ourselves and following Jesus, that defines the light of life. So Jesus intends to say it's not our religious beliefs or doctrines that all by themselves bring light into our hearts. They, they are important, for sure. But the light in life comes from actually following Jesus, not just thinking about Jesus. Please understand, this is not salvation by works. Rather, it's faith reaching the will. It's grace reaching deeper than just mental assent. And I say that because... It's just increasingly common in church circles to find people who think they're free to define Christian discipleship on their own terms. They massage their own values and lifestyles into some kind of, some kind of admiration of Jesus, and they think that Jesus will accept them on their terms rather than his terms. 
That's the point of following. That's when the darkness leaves. Four. Not too much more. Judging Jesus according to the flesh and why this is so disastrous. Our text holds a clump of verses around this thought, and they really need to be studied carefully. Look at verses 13 through 18. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. We already looked at that. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. You do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Okay, two things. One, you judge according to the flesh. Here's the statements I want to look at. And then two, I judge no one. So you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, both in that 15th verse. I'm going to start with the second one. I judge no one, and then go back to the first one. So in the last part of that verse, Jesus says something pretty striking. He says, I judge no one. What does that mean? Is Jesus not coming to judge all the earth? I mean, we know that he is because that's what Jesus said about himself. John 5, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Okay? But right now, right now is not the day of judgment. This is not the manifestation of the Son's final judgment. He'll do that when he comes again. But in his first coming, the purpose wasn't judgment. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus speaks the truth when he says to these blind religious leaders, I judge no one. This isn't the time yet. That first part, though, is a little more difficult. What does Jesus mean when he accuses them of judging according to the flesh? Remember, I said there were those two things in that verse 15. I judge no one. We looked at that. But he starts off saying that these people judge according to the flesh. And all sorts of commentaries take this to mean that these leaders are judging Jesus just according to his fleshly, earthly existence. That is, they're only seeing him as a human teacher, a human leader, a rabbi. They don't consider divinity to be a part of Jesus' person. They only see him according to the flesh. And I just want to humbly say that I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what this is about. Jesus didn't say they were judging him according to the flesh. He said they were judging according to the flesh. What Jesus is saying is, here Jesus comes, the light of the world and life. And these people continue to walk in darkness. They aren't even aware of it. And so Jesus comes offering both light and life, but they will have none of it. And here's the reason. 
they are too invested in themselves to follow Jesus. They judge everything according to the flesh. Jesus means they approach all that Jesus came to graciously give in a way that can't possibly receive it. By that, I mean they walk in their own value system. They've decided for themselves what will give the most satisfaction to their lives, what will give the most security to their lives. It's all geared to their present accomplishments, their present desires. They already think they know what will give their lives the most purpose and joy. And like many people today, they form their own judgments about life. That's what, that's what Jesus meant. You judge according to the flesh. Everything about your life is geared to right now. What I can get my hands on, what I can make work, what I can manipulate, what I can accomplish. They form their own judgments about life. And that leads to the last point in our study. No one can find Father God without bowing before his Son, Jesus, the Messiah and Redeemer and Lord of mankind. They said to him, therefore, where, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, if, if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I want you to notice the order of divine enlightenment. Jesus didn't say they could know God and then come to know and value himself as well. He places himself first in terms of coming to terms with the living God. This is what Jesus was driving at when he told them he came from the Father and was going back to the Father. He means he's the revelational bridge. He's the link to light and life. And so then and now, everyone has to start with Jesus Christ if you want to walk in the light. That's it. He's the light of the world. There are no other lights. Jesus is the light of the world in Ontario, in Iran, in India, in Afghanistan, in Nigeria, in the United States. There's no other source of light. There's no other way to God. He's the light of the whole world. Proving God exists apart from Jesus Christ, merely establishes your eternal judge. Proving the existence of God without Jesus is like a thief proving the existence of prison. Make no mistake, Jesus alone brings light and life. He takes eternal encroaching darkness and blindness out of your soul Trust him, yield, embrace his freely offered grace, and follow him. There is simply no good reason to continue living in the dark. 
moral and spiritual blindness. Don't stay there. Come to the light of the world. Let's pray.